Good morning. Happy Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Day. Remember Dr. King's great contribution and his vision and his wisdom today. Uh, and um, that's what we are all doing, especially with his vaccination, with our social equity component. It's very much in keeping with Dr. King's uh, words of advice and his pursuit for justice. To my right, we have Gareth Rhodes. To my left, Melissa DeRosa. Uh, Robert Mejica is not with us today. Budget day is tomorrow. So he is busily crunching numbers as we speak. Today is day 324. Um, we have a lot of information to communicate today. The more factual information that people have, I think the better, uh, so they can make their own decisions, hopefully the right decisions. Positivity, 6.5. Total results reported, 186,000. Statewide deaths, 153. Somebody mentioned to me, they said, well, when you say the death number, you tend to go past that number quickly. Uh, I do. If I do, it's because it's the most painful number for me uh, every day. And uh, that is number of people, number of families. Multiply that number by three. That's how many people are grieving today and crying today. Uh, so there are our thoughts and prayers. Hospitalizations up 97, ICU down 27, intubations down 7. This is percentage hospitalized by percent of the population around the state. Uh, Finger Lakes has, uh, again, uh, with the Mohawk Valley, uh, has the highest percentage of people hospitalized. There is a major component of this is how people react to COVID and their behavior. And it's worth noting the variance across the state because that's the variance in behavior across the state. Uh, Long Island has uh, taken a relative uh, jump, which is concerning. Uh, and we're watching that because Long Island jumped up, not in the right direction. Positivity rate, uh, again, you see that in Long Island has taken a jump. But again, you see the variation across the state. You go from the southern tier, which, by the way, had a big spike at one time, and reverse that. Uh, it shows you what a community can do when it comes together and, and recognizes this threat. Uh, Long Island, 7.8. That's problematic. Uh, and that's new, by the way. Within the city, the Bronx is the highest. Um, then we have Queens, then Staten Island. Uh, Bronx has been ticking up over the past few weeks, so that continues. We said that overall we're in a foot race between the vaccination rate and the COVID infection rate. How many people can you get vaccinated how quickly, which largely depends on how many dosages you have, and how fast is the COVID infection rate going up? Where are we in that foot race? 
We're running around the track. Who's ahead? Who's behind? Good news, we're seeing a decline in the COVID rates uh, post-Christmas, New Year's Eve surge, right? We said during the holiday season, people gather. Depending on how you gather uh, will depend on the infection rate, how far it goes up. Uh, But we expected mid-January, late January to start to see that number to come down because the concentration of social gatherings was coming down. And that's apparently what is happening. Positivity rate is down. Hospitalization rate is slowing. That's the curve statewide since Christmas, okay? So Thanksgiving, Christmas, Kwanzaa, Hanukkah, a lot of gatherings. Number goes up. Uh, Depending by region and in how smart and careful people were, then plateaued, and it looks like we're coming down. So that's good news, uh, relatively. These are the curves across the state. You see all a little different. Again, it shows the variance across the state. That's all reflective of community behavior. Uh, They look like you put them all together, you have a mountain range. I still see mountains, different shapes. But They all went up, and they're all coming down, some at faster rates. Some went up up higher than other places, uh, and they're coming down at different rates. Uh, This is the hospitalization rate, and you can see, really, you want to start at the bottom of this chart. Uh, Last November... We were 21 new hospitalizations, and then it started to tick up 46, 82, 104, 131, 152, 164, 97, 165, and now it looks like it's reducing and we're coming down the other side of the curve, 111, 48, 32, and we just hope that continues. Here's the issue. Uh, People have been a little loose with the discussion of a second wave, a second wave. First wave was the spring. The second wave was not a holiday surge. Second wave originally came from the 1918 flu pandemic, which had one strain, and then after that strain, there was a second strain, and the second strain did more damage than the first strain. We have not seen a second strain. People started to call the holiday surge a second wave. It was a second surge. It wasn't a second wave. A second wave would be a new strain being introduced. That's what happened in 1918. That's what we are afraid we're seeing now, a new strain which could cause a second wave. That's what the UK strain is all about. CDC says over the weekend, uh, we're afraid the UK strain will be the dominant strain in March. That would be a second wave uh, because the UK strain uh, is much more contagious than uh, the first COVID strain. There's then a South African strain which 
they're studying now and they're concerned about. There's now a Brazilian strange strain, which may actually be worse than the South African strain or the UK strain. These, any of these three strains could be a second wave. Uh, if the CDC is right and the UK strain becomes dominant in March, uh, that would then see an increased infection rate, and that would not be good. I still don't understand uh, how the CDC and the federal government can project or uh, anticipate an action but do nothing. If you know there's a UK strain, if you know there's a South African strain, if you know there's a Brazil stra Brazilian strain, why don't you do something? Why don't you stop those people from coming here? We went through this last spring, China to Europe to the United States. We then went through it with the UK strain. 120 countries banned people from the UK or required testing. The United States did nothing. Now they're talking about a South African strain, a Brazilian strain, but then why are you still allowing people to just fly into this country? And then it's too late. Once somebody comes from Brazil with a Brazilian strain, you're off to the races, and we know that. Uh, in terms of vaccination rate, the good news is more and more New Yorkers are getting vaccinated. We're over one million doses totally administered. Uh, most people, overwhelming majority of first dosage, but 21 days later, people starting to get the second doses. Uh, the healthcare system has ramped up aggressively, um, and we have been very aggressive in our efforts to have the healthcare system ramp up. This is a new activity. I understand that. Uh, but life is in the doing. And you see week one, week two, three, four, five. Feels like we've been at it for a long time, but it's only been five weeks. But you have a tenfold increase in the number of vaccines uh, that are being done. Uh, we still have uneven performance, uh, not surprising because you have hundreds of facilities doing this and uh, you have population differences and you also have performance differences. Whenever you ask 100 facilities to undertake a new and challenging activity, some are going to do better than others. Uh, that's life. Not all facilities are the same uh, and not all regions of the state are the same. Vaccination performance is uneven, and this is in total hospital performance, local health department performance, et cetera. Uh, but you have a low of 65% uh, in New York City. You have a high of 83 in the southern tier, 81 in the North Country. Uh, and then good news, Mohawk Valley, Long Island, Finger Lakes, Western New York, would you see the variance? If you look by region, uh, which is, I believe, uh, an important analysis, you can argue there are differences among regions of the state, different populations, different sizes, et cetera. Okay, let's look at differences within the region itself. Uh, you have Saratoga County Public Health Services, 100% lower 
performing in the capital region, Ellis Hospital at 86, but you're between 86 and 100. Central New York, Onondaga County Health Department, 100%, great. Uh, Cayuga Health Department, 100, great. Upstate Medical University Hospital, great. Auburn, 100%. Oswego Hospital, 100%. Uh, great. Krauss, Oneida, Richard Hutchings, uh, that is all great. But you have the uh, connect, Connext Care Pulaski, 28%. Connext Care Fulton, 34%. That's a dramatic and troubling variance. Uh, Finger Lakes, you go from 100 for a number of facilities, 64, 72. Long Island, you have 100% down to 50%. Uh, this is part of this is just inexplicable, right? Uh, Mid Hudson, number of facilities at 100%, and you go down to 26%. So this is obviously a cause of concern for us, uh, and it's basically the same story across the state. New York City, you have a number of facilities at 100, number in the 90s, 80s, and then you go to Brooklyn Plaza Medical Center, 20%. Union Community Health, 26. Uh, New York City Health and Hospitals, Jacoby, 50%. New York City Health and Hospitals, uh, Morsania, 50%. So the variance is obviously problematic. North Country, the range is only 100 to 88. Good for the North Country. Southern Tier, 100 to 62. Uh, Western New York, 82 is the low performing in Western New York. For the lower performing facilities, uh, we are going to give them less, if any, of the new allocation. Um, We'll, they'll all have enough to do their staff, but we want to make sure that the faster facilities, the higher performing facilities, get more of the new allocation because we want it out the door. We don't want it sitting on the shelf. So those that can vaccinate faster will get more of the new allocation. 100% of the nursing home facilities have had their day one first vaccination. That is great news. Uh, I want to thank the partners who did this. This was a federally uh, designed program, and the federal government contracted with these pharmacies. Uh, but uh, this has been getting 100% of the nursing homes done is a big deal. Even there, you see this is long-term care facilities. You see a variance in the number of staff, especially, that has been willing to be vaccinated. Uh, and sometimes the de declaration rate in some facilities is double what it is in other facilities. We had set aside 225,000 doses for long-term care. 105,000 have been used. 120,000 remain. Uh, we're going to reallocate those that are unused in the long-term care facility program to the state program but we'll make sure that the residents uh, who want to take it and the staff who want to take it, uh, we will 
reserve their doses, but any unused doses we're going to reallocate to the main program. Uh, we've set up a number of state sites, which are large mass vaccination sites, uh, which have been going uh, well. We have five open, and we're going to open eight additional uh, mass vaccination sites this week. Uh, so that's good news. And we also have sp special efforts to make sure social equity is being performed. Uh, and we're reaching out to communities that have less trust in the vaccine to uh, have interventions uh, to speak to those communities about the facts of this vaccine and try to reduce the cynicism and the distrust. I spoke about that today in my uh, King message uh, to the National Action Network. We're also reaching out to the healthcare deserts, parts of the state communities that have fewer healthcare services. Uh, so we're reaching out through public housing, churches, community centers. We're opening pop-up vaccination sites in these healthcare deserts because they don't have the pharmacies, they don't have the hospitals, they don't have the doctor's offices. We're working with SOMOS Community Care uh, and Northwell Health. I want to thank both of them for this partnership. Uh, it's not easy. Hospital capacity is still the danger zone, red line, shutdown area, whatever you want to call it. Uh, all these discussions, microclusters, yellow zones, orange zones, when the hospital capacity is endangered, that's when we have to go to full shutdown. Uh, well, the numbers are coming down. Yes, the numbers are coming down. If the UK strain hits, if the Brazilian strain hits, if the South African strain hits, you can see those numbers turn around, right? So deal with today, anticipate tomorrow. Uh, yes, the numbers are coming down today. If we have a second wave by a new strain, you'll see that number go back up. Uh, unvaccinated doctors and nurses are still a problem. Uh, you put unvaccinated nurses and doctors together with a second wave, uh, that should keep us all up at night. Uh, when we talk about hospital capacity, it's not that hospitals are running out of beds or equipment. Hospitals are running out of staff. That's what's happening. And if the staff gets sick, then the number of eligible staff comes down. That's what we're concerned about. That's why they were prioritized nationwide in receiving the vaccine. Uh, so, because they're exposed more, and if they get sick, they could be a super spreader, and if they get sick, then the hospitals are in trouble. So, recognizing that priority is still important. I get the overall dynamic that we now have about half of the eligible people in the state uh, um, on the uh, approved list to receive the vaccine, but we still have to take care of the 1A priority. We're only at 60% of nurses and doctors statewide. And remember, herd immunity was supposed to be 70 to 90%. And again, you have a variance across the state by what percent of healthcare workers, hospital workers, have been vaccinated. And you have, again, the variance by region. Uh, across the state, 
95% Cayuga Medical Center at Ithaca. Great job. New York Presby Hospital, Columbia Presbyterian Center, 93%. Presby Lower Manhattan Hospital, 90%. Maimonides, 89%. New York Presbyterian Hudson Valley, 89 87 86 And then you go to 23 27 29 at Bellevue, 35 at Harlem Hospital, 36 at Brookdale, 36 at North Central, 38 at Lincoln Medical. And you see the same variance by region across the state. Glens Fall at 85, Samaritan at 45. Central New York, Krause Hospital 76, down to 54. 76 in the Finger Lakes, 54. Long Island, 81, 43. Mid-Hudson, 89, 43. Mohawk Valley, 69, 40. New York City, 93, 27. Bellevue, 29. Harlem Hospital, 35. Uh, So, again, you see the disparity and the differential. North Country, 79 to 55. Southern Tier, 95 to 23. Western New York, 84 to 41. My concern, our concern, Department of Health concern, more important, the low vaccinated hospital staff will be the first hospitals to have capacity problems in a surge situation for two reasons. Number one, they'll have more staff getting sick because you have fewer that were vaccinated. Number two, I do believe there's a management component and performance component to what we're seeing. Uh, And that management differential, the performance differential, the expertise differential is what you wind up seeing in a surge situation. You look at the hospitals that got into trouble in the surge in the spring, uh, and let's learn something. But I think this is an indicator going forward. Again, facilities with slower vaccination rates will get less of the new allocation. Our allocation is nowhere near enough. We want to maximize it, so places that can get it out first will get priority. A stressor on this entire situation and a stressor on people across the state is the federal government increased eligibility dramatically but never increased the supply of the dosages. Remember what happens here. The federal government sends us a supply and then we distribute the supply. Uh, Trump administration announced last week that they were expediting the second dose to increase the allocations. Secretary Azar said all the doses that have been held in physical reserve will be allocated and sent. They then increased the eligibility to 65-plus and created this wave of expectation. They said there would be more supply to meet the wave they were creating. That was not true. Uh, And now they did a total 180 
on whether or not there's going to be any more allocation. And as a matter of fact, they say there's not going to be any more allocation. And when you look at what we've been getting, uh, it hasn't gone up. If anything, it went down. We had 169 the first week. We went up to 466, 273, 239, and 239. Uh, so there was no increase. But there was this tremendous increase in uh, eligibility. So now you have 7 million New Yorkers chasing 300,000 vaccines a week. At that rate, it would take six months. The 300 goes down to 250. Now you're talking about seven months to get the 7 million vaccinations done. Why did you raise that expectation? You tell me I'm going to be eligible for a vaccine. Great, I'm all excited. Uh, by the way, it's going to take seven months to get to you. Seven months is a lifetime. So I'm not really eligible if there's no supply. It was a fraud. Uh, and you told me I was eligible, but you don't have a vaccine for me. Uh, so uh, what was the point of it? I sent a letter to Secretary Azar that said, look, the problem was created by the federal negligence in the first place. You learned nothing. The handling of the vaccine has been incompetent up until now. And you actually increased the damage and anxiety by lying to the American people about what you were going to do. And you made a bad situation worse. You know, public confidence is very important now. Uh, and they created public chaos by this situation. The federal government is in control of the supply. They must increase the supply. Approve Johnson & Johnson. Expedite that. Buy more Pfizer. Buy more Moderna. Buy more Oxford AstraZeneca. Do whatever you have to do to increase the supply. As a state, we're trying to do everything that we can. Uh, I sent a letter to the Pfizer Corporation today. Uh, Pfizer is technically not bound by any federal agreement because they did not get engaged in what the federal government called Operation Warp Speed, where they gave money to drug companies uh, to expedite the vaccine. Pfizer is a private company. They produced it on their own. They can do what they want with it. I sent the president uh, and chairman, Mr. Borla, Dr. Borla, a letter asking if New York could buy directly from Pfizer so we could increase our supply. Pfizer is a New York company. Uh, they are headquartered here. And I sent a letter asking for uh, if New York could buy directly from Pfizer. Wednesday is inauguration day. Uh, I was planning to go to the inauguration. Uh, I'm not going to go to the inauguration. There have been uh, reports from law enforcement sources that there is uh, talk of doing demonstrations at state capitals. And uh, they have done an advisory that state capitals uh, should beware of potential demonstrations. We've seen what happened, we saw what happened in Washington uh, a couple of weeks ago. We have made preparations here. We have the state police uh, who have been making preparations. We have police officers on standby. Uh, I think 
that uh, my place is to stay in New York State, uh, given this uh, possible circumstance. I have no problem asking our public servants to step up when the time is required. Uh, if it's a hurricane, if it's a flood, if it's seven feet of snow in Buffalo, if it's Superstorm Sandy, or if it's uh, possible de large-scale demonstrations. Uh, but when I do that, I, my personal inclination is I like to be there also. Uh, I'm a little old school. I don't like to ask anyone to do anything that uh, I'm not willing to do. So when I call them up to go shovel seven feet of snow in Buffalo, I go shovel seven feet of snow in Buffalo, or as much s snow as I can shovel. Uh, so if there's a possible situation here at the Capitol, I'm going to be at the Capitol. Uh, that's my place. I'm governor of New York, and uh, I want to make sure that uh, I'm here if I need to be here. I sent my best wishes uh, to President-elect Biden. He's a good friend, and it's going to be a great day. And many members of his uh, team I've worked with for many, many years. So I chatted with them this morning, uh, and they understand. Uh, but uh, everyone makes their own decision, and people of the state of New York elected me governor, and I think the governor should be here on this day. Last, last point. How about them bills on Saturday? That was just a huge game, and it was a huge win. Congratulations. Uh, we've also used the playoff games uh, to test a reopening strategy uh, using testing. Uh, we did 7,800 tests before the game, only 1.4% positive. So it was a great game. It was a great result. And I'll tell you what was really beautiful. Not just the victory, but afterwards, the Buffalo Bills fans donated to Lamar Jackson's uh, favorite charity, after uh, an in-game concussion. What a, what a beautiful gesture by uh, the people of Buffalo, the Buffalo fans. And uh, that's what I mean when we talk about New York loving, right? We had New York tough, yeah. But tough is not just tough. I know that's what people think about New Yorkers. Uh, it's smart, it's united, it's disciplined, and it's loving. And that was uh, Buffalo Bills fans being loving, and I appreciate it. Operator, let's take questions, please. Thank you, Governor. If you'd like to ask a question, please use the raise hand function at the bottom of your window. We'll take a brief moment to compile the Q&A roster. Governor, your first question comes from Courtney Gross from New York One. Courtney, your line is now open. Please unmute your microphone. Hi, Governor. How are you? How are you, Courtney? Long time. Yes, um, I'm well. Thank you. So you you called out city New York City hospitals specifically. Seems like there were a lot of low performing in terms of getting their staff vaccinated as well as getting their patients vaccinated. And I know a few weeks back you talked about potentially fining hospitals. What is the status of that? Could these facilities see any more so-called, you know, I'm using air quotes here, punishment besides not getting new shipments of vaccines? The uh, Courtney, 
you're from New York City, so you say I called out New York City. Uh, the Buffalo reporters will say I called out Buffalo. The Capital District reporters will say I called out the Capital District. Uh, I did the same thing at the briefing before. I didn't call out anyone. I gave New Yorkers the facts. Here are the statewide numbers. Here are the regions by numbers. This is how many uh, allocations of their allocation. This is how many vaccines they've done. Uh, of their allocation, this is how many of the nurses and doctors hospitals have done. Here are the high, here are the low. Here are the high, here are the low. Uh, and I did that for every region in the state, right? So there was no selectivity among regions. Uh, these are important allocations, and uh, we want to make sure everyone is doing everything they can to get them out as quickly as possible. Uh, number two, the, uh, there is no uh, negative consequence if you are a slower-performing facility then of our precious new allocation, we wouldn't send it to the slower-performing facilities, right? Once you know that some facilities get it out right away and some facilities uh, take longer, you would send the precious few allocated dosages to the facilities that get the, uh, those vaccinations performed faster. That's just common sense. Government doesn't have to be devoid of common sense, right? Uh, so it's common sense by government. Give those who vaccinate faster more of the new allocation. That is, we did not find, uh, we did not uh, take any uh, negative action. We have no evidence of misappropriation by these facilities. Uh, if we did, that would be a different situation. Uh, it's just a variance in performance. And I think it is worth noting, and I think it will have other consequences in other areas, but for just for the vaccines, give the new dosages to the faster, higher-performing facilities. That's the only action. Operator, next question. Did you have a point? Uh, no, I would just add that it makes sense because if you have allocation remaining, then you don't need the new allocation that's going out and the faster the other hospitals that are faster can get more out the door. So they would have remaining that would then spill over. And this is a conversation that we've had with local governments across the state, and we've found overwhelmingly that they agree with this, including New York City. Yeah. You know, Courtney, that's a good point. If you only did 60% of your vaccines... By definition, then you have allocation left over, so you don't need more. Next question, please, operator. Governor, you now have Stacy Sherman from Bloomberg News. Stacy, your line is open. Please unmute your microphone. Hi, Governor. How are you? Good, Stacy. How are you? Good. Um, with regard to Pfizer, can you tell me um, a, that would be a first, right? For a state to buy directly from um, from a company for vaccine, and how many do you plan to buy? What cost? Uh, it would be a first. Pfizer has only sold to the federal government, um, but 
look, my job as governor of New York is to pursue every avenue, and that's what I'm doing. Um, if Pfizer were to agree to sell, then we'd have that conversation. But first things first. First, they have to agree. Next question, operator. Governor, you now have Nick Reisman from Spectrum News. Nick, your line is open. Please unmute your microphone. Hey, Governor, can you hear me? Yes, sir, Nick. How are you? I'm well. Um, can you provide more detail of the unused doses uh, from the long-term care facilities that are going to be redistributed? Um, I might have missed this, but how many doses are going to be redistributed, and where specifically are those going to be allocated, and why were they unused? Was it just a matter of too many doses were, were, were sent? Uh, I'll ask Gareth to give you more specifics. Uh, this was a federally run program. They set aside the allocation for these facilities. Uh, also, you did have a high, well, I think higher than expected rate of declination by staff. Um, and when we say we're going to reallocate, we're going to leave that program with everything they need to do any possible staff or residents who have so far declined or who need it. Uh, but then anything that's not needed by that program, we would reallocate. But I'll ask Gareth to give you the numbers. That's exactly right. So there is, for the long-term care facility program, 611 facilities enrolled in this program. There's 140,000 approximately, 140,000 nursing home staff, approximately 85,000 residents. So that's why 225,000 doses were reserved for this program. Now that the program consists of three clinical days, the first clinical day, all the residents are offered a dose, a first dose, and a portion of the staff are offered a first dose. Clinical day two, uh, the, the residents that got dose one on day one get dose two. The remainder staff are offered dose one. And then clinical day three, you offer second doses to everyone who got uh, a first dose on clinical day two. And so the clinical day one is now completed. We have used about 105,000 doses for out of that 225 that were reserved. They were not delivered to New York. They were reserved for us. And that, that the balance of that will keep what we believe will be used for the rest of the program. It's about 55,000 doses. We think if every single resident and staff member who has not declined so far uh, decides to take a dose, that will be the, the, the balance of it. And the rest of it, about 65,000 doses, uh, will work with our partners to uh, reallocate that to sites across New York State where they can be used uh, and go into people's arms. Operator, next question. Just so uh, we're all clear when we talk about allocation, federal government sends us a number. We distribute that number by percent of population across the state. So Western New York gets its uh, percent by population. North Country gets it per its percent by population. Facilities within that region, uh, we will favor higher performing facilities but any allocation is always proportionate among re regions. So if we allocated 65,000, that would just go into the base that gets allocated uh, proportionately by population. Next question, operator. Governor, you now have Natalie Dudridge from CBS. Natalie, your line is open. Please unmute your microphone. Hi there, Governor Cuomo. How are you, Natalie? We have I'm well, thank you. Uh, we've been working on a story. There are 
dozens of landlords who have not received rent from their tenants, in some cases 18 months, in some cases two years. These are issues that started well before the pandemic, but even though judges have even issued eviction warrants, they've been put on hold due to the eviction moratorium, and even the marshals and sheriff's office won't execute them. Now, these are cases where tenants, they're partying, they're even destroying property, um, and they still cannot be evicted. So landlords say that this affidavit that allows tenants to claim COVID hardship is just too vague and that tenants are taking advantage of it. So these are desperate landlords. They are wondering what they can do. Well, Natalie, the law is the law. You can't claim COVID hardship uh, if you weren't paying rent before COVID, right? Uh, COVID, the non-payment of rent covered by the law is related not only to COVID, but hardship that the tenant has incurred because of COVID. Uh, that's the law. So, uh, you know, if, if a person doesn't pay rent for a different time period or for a different reason, the law just doesn't apply. You want to add anything on that? Yeah. One more question, operator. Governor, your last question comes from Juliet Papa at 1010 Winds. Juliet, your line is now open. Please unmute your microphone. Hey, good morning, Governor. How are you? How are you, Juliet? I'm fine, thank you. My question involves the strains that you're concerned about. Is there a, a different kind of test? How would you identify that? And what's the process? Does it take longer? to identify people with the strains uh, here in uh, New York? Good question. Uh, and again, Juliet, I am, when you talk about possible nightmares, this is like the possible, one of the big possible nightmares, right? Because we've been talking about this foot race between vaccinations and the infection rate, and we have the infection rate now coming down, vaccination rate going up, that's good news. Yeah, except if you have a second wave, what a second wave really means is a new strain. You already have the UK strain. Now they talk about a South African strain, a Brazilian strain. Uh, there's limited information on the Brazilian strain. There's conflicting information on the South African strain. Uh, they say the South African strain is as contagious as the UK strain, which is uh, much more contagious than the current COVID-19 strain. Uh, there's different opinion on whether or not the South African strain is more lethal. Uh, the UK strain supposedly is not more lethal, but it is more contagious, and that's what the CDC said is going to be a dominant strain uh, by March. We do test for these strains. We have found nothing besides the UK strain so far in New York. Uh, the tests are more elaborate because they have to do genetic sequencing. Uh, it takes the CDC something like two weeks to do a test, single test for the UK strain. We do it in about 40 hours at our state lab. Uh, I don't know how long the tests take for the uh, Brazilian strain or the South African strain, but I know we're doing those tests also, and we haven't found either of those yet. The absurdity to me is, if you know it's out there, 
and that's why it's called the Brazilian strain, why are you letting people from Brazil fly here? South African strain. But then why are you letting people from South Africa fly here? I mean, once you say those words, uh, why, why don't you do something about it, right? Common sense. What happened to common sense? I thought you were going to mention, Juliet, that the letter to Pfizer is the exclamation point in your question from last week, which was, uh, can we buy directly? And I said we've been pursuing all options. I put it in writing for you. I'll see you guys tomorrow. Have a good day. Happy Dr. Martin Luther King Day.